I always tell people you travel for everyone travels for like to see these spectacular nature or these temples Mm -hmm. or museums. But like for me, those things are all amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it's the people that I travel for. Welcome to On Arrival, the Traveler's Podcast. We're your hosts, KT and Jordan. Throughout our 20s, we've lived and traveled all around the world and fell in love with exploring new cultures. Here at On Arrival, we interview some of the world's most eccentric travelers to hear their original and authentic stories. We hope this show inspires you to take your next trip. And that when you land, you have a game plan. On Arrival. Hello, everyone from Aruba. We can't wait to tell you all about it. It's yeah. been an adventure. It's we'll leave been it at an that. Adventure. I mean, um, would it be anything less with us? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we're on vacation. Of course, it's an adventure, but there's been some twists and turns. That's what I mean. Right. That's what I mean. But we are looking forward to sharing everything next week. Next week. Got to tune in next week. So this week in travel, we just want to touch on a few things before we get into today's episode. The Delta variant. Fill us in. So according to the CDC, fully vaccinated people are safe from the variant, but it's up to local governments to decide if you have to wear a mask or not. Is it more, let me ask you a question, is it more um, contagious? Yes, it's more contagious than any other variant out there. Got you. So Um, all those people holding out on vaccination. Don't. Just don't do it. Yeah. That's our advice for the day. Countries are also like pushing back their reopening dates because of the rise in cases and the danger of the variant. Right. We talked about that last week, that possibility. So Right. And it's expected to become the dominant strain in the U.S. in the coming weeks. Okay. So if you're planning travel or thinking about travel, mm-hmm. keep an eye on that wherever you'd like to go. Right. Because a lot of times you don't need to be vaccinated. You just have to have a negative test well if you get somewhere and the delta variant is running rampant that's setting you up for not a fun vacation yeah nobody wants that vacation quarantine vacation all right let's talk about united yeah new planes whole new fleet yes they need it let's just start with (laughs) let's just start there (laughs) yeah we flew united on our way here and let's just say they're they need it quote revolutionizing the experience of flying united and yeah i think that's a great idea so i'd like to just mention that we i don't know i don't dislike united Mm -hmm. we used miles to upgrade our flights here to first class and i was pretty underwhelmed yeah to say the least they're going to buy 270 new planes, and it's the airline's biggest purchase and the largest purchase from any carrier in the past decade. And they have plans to create 25,000 more jobs by 2026. So I think all of that is great. They are introducing these new planes, but they are the 737 MAX. And I don't planes. know if all of them are that. Um, I think they are. Oh, Jesus. If you know about the, there was a few of those crashes with the 737. It was under scrutiny again as recently as May. So, um, yeah, that to me, I don't know that it's a something to worry about, but I definitely would be looking into it uh, if I started to book United Flight anytime in the near future. That it's worrisome to me. I don't know, because that's scary. That's a scary thought. Right, like... It's great. They're doing an update and they're getting more planes because, I mean, it really, when we flew first class here to Aruba, it really seemed like that plane was like at least 10, 20 years old. Yeah. Like I said, they need them. Yeah. It's just, you know, I worry about the plane. (laughs) (laughs) But then I've also flown international with United and it's been a new plane, like super nice, very comfortable So I guess it's just... It doesn't say, the article doesn't say if they're all 737 MAX 8s, but it said that they received their first one. The first of a massive 270 aircraft order. Oh no, wow. Because it really did say adding 270 new planes, so they're all 737 MAX. 
M- yeah, probably. Okay, keep your eye on that. Let's just leave it there. Okay, moving on. Good news in travel. Thailand's open. It kind of makes me wish that we were in Thailand right now. Yeah, that would be amazing. It's um, been on our list. July first, Thailand opened to. They opened their sandbox program. It's called, and what does that mean? It's a system to allow travelers from a number of countries, including the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. And there's a number of requirements you have to meet. They have a certificate of entry, a negative PCR test, no more than 72 hours before travel, an insurance policy that covers your treatment while you're there, and you must provide payment confirmation for at least 14 nights and a PCR test. So there's a number of requirements. There may be more. It's called their sandbox scheme again. And that's good news. Maybe we can go to Thailand soon. Sounds like a good plan. As long as everyone's safe, we can go to Thailand. That's great. Yeah. If you're like us and you've been itching to go, now might be the time. All right. Let's get to it. Here we go. Okay. Today on the show, we have another University of Michigan alum. And I feel horrible. For all like the Ohio State fans or Michigan State fans, like I'm sorry, we've been interviewing so many U of M alumni, (laughs) Um, but we have him here with us today to share his extensive travel experience. He hails from the Great Lakes State, but has spent time in Chile, Italy, and Spain. If you ever wondered what it's like to study abroad, this episode is for you. Yes, Joe Coza, thanks for being here, my friend from college. Throwback. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us today, man. We're really excited. This is there's so much interesting stuff. I'm nervous because we have when we have good guests on, it can we just we can feel like we can keep going. So <laughs> we'll have to try to get to, to get as much of the good good stuff out as we can mm-hmm. and not talk forever. But let's start off with a question that we ask all of our guests, which is Tell us about your most memorable travel experience. So I've been thinking about this since yesterday, and I there isn't like one that particularly stands out in my brain. Um, I was trying to think like, what's my favorite destination I've been to? Or, you know, what was a specific interaction I had? Um, yeah. and a few, a few kind of came to mind. Um, one, at one point, I was staying with a friend in southern Italy in Puglia, which is like the heel of the boot. Um, mm-hmm. and his, all his family is there. Um, his like, uh, grandmother's sister and like all his father's side of the family pretty much still lives in a small little town, um, right outside of Bari, which is like a port city in the South. And okay. every Sunday when we were staying, there was about like a two, three month period. Um, we would go to his grandma's house, um, and they would just cook this huge, fantastic meal. All the relatives would come over and especially since I was like the odd man out, I, my Italian still wasn't very good. Um, you know, I, I looked a little different than everyone. They would just feed me and feed me till I was going to burst. And then they'd, they'd bring out dessert. <laughs> I would have a piece of ice cream and they'd like, oh, you got to try the, the same ice cream, but now with a little alcohol on top. I have a second piece. Like, <laughs> right. And we also had these two neighbors. Uh, their names were Annalisa and uh, Pino. And an older couple, and at least like three times a week, they would have us over for lunch. And then we'd have to play. One of us, um, me or my friend, would end up playing chess with Pino. And the joke was, we have to beat him because he hated losing. So every time he lost, he'd be like, you guys have to come over tomorrow. So if we won in chess, it meant more lunch <laughs> the next day. <laughs> Another um, a memory that stuck out to me was the time I visited Georgia, um, the country, not the state, obviously. And yeah. I'd never been there before. I had like, seen a bunch of pictures um, online through Instagram because I had these four or five random Instagram. I have maybe like 300 Instagram followers, but for some reason, five Georgian friends followed me at one point. Um, and just over a year, I'd seen their pictures. I'd never really interacted with them, but I'd seen their pictures and thought like, this place looks amazing. So yeah. I was in Istanbul and I checked flights to wherever. I didn't have a set schedule. I said flights to everywhere from here. I saw a cheap flight to Georgia. Maybe it was like $60. Oh and I said, gosh. you know what? What am I going to have this opportunity to go? It's so far. Um, mm-hmm. This is the closest I'm ever going to be to it. So I flew there. And my first day there, 
I had, I'd been my Airbnb for maybe like 20 minutes. I had, there was a picture of a National Geographic on the table um, with the name of the capital city I was in, which is Tbilisi. Um, I posted that on my story and like within 15 minutes, one of the Georgians that followed me messaged me like, wait, are you in Georgia? Like, no way. And they're like, can you be ready in 15 minutes? Um, we're, we're going to take you to a like traditional Georgian feast. Oh, how cool. So it turns out, um, this, uh, this woman, her boyfriend at the time was his family owned like one of the largest wine companies in Georgia. Which, fun fact, Georgia is now, like, known um, to have created wine. So there's a 6,000-year-old tablet where it's, like, proven that they're wow. the originators of wine, actually. So we wow. go to this. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So we go to this. Um, I got a huge smile on my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. <laughs> they take me to this vineyard, pretty much. And about, like, 20 of their friends come, all people similarly aged, around, like, 25 and they have pretty much the whole restaurant closed for us. And they're just bringing constant food, constant wine. And Georgians, what they like to do is give toasts. Um, but their toasts are like, they stop everything. They get a microphone out. They give a big toast. And then everyone has to finish their glass. Uh, you know? Oh, but no. They do that every 15 <laughs> minutes or so. You know? So it's like, I don't know. By the time they got me, I don't remember them even taking me home. And then the next day, they, you know, they were like, oh, you're like, wait, I don't know them that well. <laughs> exactly. It was like, I felt bad that I didn't know these people, though. But they were like so hospitable, so nice, um, which is I learned is just like uh-huh. the norm for Georgians. Um, some of the nicest like people I've encountered in general. But that week, they ended up taking me on a road trip to their great grandma's house in the countryside. Um, we tried wine out of like these underground gourds. It's like these giant pots that they keep underground and they leave it there for like the entire winter. And then after it turns to wine, I guess that's the same ancient technique they've been using forever. And yeah, it just was the way that like these people who I had maybe sent one or two Instagram messages to like took me in as one of their own was really amazing. And, and even since then I've, Mm -hmm. I've met some of my Jordan friends in, in Paris a couple of times in Spain once or twice. So it was, that was a really nice experience for me. I love that you just went there you went to georgia and you were like they're like wait are you here you didn't even like give them a heads up and then you just had such a spectacular time that's the coolest part i think that story is like the reason we ask that question for stories like that that is unbelievable um Mm -hmm. but it's funny enough you mentioned the the wine thing my my aunt is about to go to georgia and she was just telling me apparently georgia is known for like amazing wine she's actually on her way there i think yes maybe today yeah yeah, so uh who knew? I I I was we were very close to Georgia this year because we were in Russia and um there's a lot of Georgian people yeah. there, like a lot of Georgian restaurants and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, we definitely got to add it to the list. I think it's we're starting to hear about it more. I think it's kind of Yeah, it was really popular in Russia. It's very popular in Russia. There was a ton of restaurants in yeah. St. Petersburg, I remember. Yeah. Even in Kazan there's Georgian restaurants, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Man. So, I know that you said you kind of just you know, plan the trip, spur of the moment kind of thing. What do you normally use to find your flights? Um, and I know you mentioned Airbnb. Is it just like Google Flights and Airbnb? Is that your style? Um, I've always liked Skyscanner, honestly. But Google Flights, Skyscanner, okay. I, I whatever you're uh, able to like adjust the location to everywhere. You know, not all websites let uh-huh. you do that. And then I've recently started using, this is like when I have more time to plan in advance, like just secret flights. It's a it's an app you can get, and it's pretty much just tells you or secret flying, and it just like has random flights. Like I I was just scrolling through it, and I put from Detroit to anywhere, and I found a flight a round trip flight to Puerto Rico for one hundred fifty dollars. And I me and my friend went last week. I I finished law school a couple of weeks ago, and we went a couple of days after. You know, wow. I'm 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 lost on where to go with this interview because there was so much just in those stories. It's like we could talk about so much. Yeah, um, I, I wasn't expecting Georgia to be yeah. on the list, so that's way cool. Let's let's talk about you've had a few stops where you spent extended time living places. Mm-hmm. Um I know one of those is Chile. Let's talk a little bit about that. What took you there, what you did while you were there. So Chile was yeah, like the start of my kind of like traveling in general, my nomad lifestyle. And mm-hmm. before that, I had um 
been working as a financial advisor for like a year, very cliche story, working in finance. It's like, wait, what am I like doing with my life? I'm just like, I'm waking up with money as my only motivation when it's like, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't really what I wanted in life at that point. I kind of, I had always dreamed of traveling, of knowing languages, of having adventure, like to put it simply. Yeah. And I kind of was, I went to my boss and I was like, can I take a, you know, six months sabbatical? Will you guys accept me back? They liked me. So they were like, yeah, that's no problem. So I started looking into, I didn't really have like crazy funds to go, you know, live abroad on my own. So I started looking into volunteer programs. I thought teaching English, I always hear about people teaching English abroad. So I looked into that. I found similar programs in Mexico, Colombia, and Chile. So for a long time, about like a month or two, I was just like, where should I go? Where should I go? My motivation is learning Spanish. Chile has the worst, craziest Spanish no one can understand it. Everyone makes fun of it. They drop like half this, half the word. You know, they don't use any S's. So it was like the last place I should have gone. Oh, wow. Um, but I was like really struggling with the decision. As cheesy as it sounds, I had like three books by some of my favorite. I had an Octavio Paz book, a Gabriel Garcia Marquez book for Colombia, Octavio Paz for Mexico, and a Pablo Neruda book, uh, you know, for Chile. And like, I don't know what it was. I kept okay. opening them, going back from one to the other. And I just ended up on a page of Pablo Neruda's book. And it was like one of my favorite poems of all time. And it goes, Quiero hacer contigo que el primavera hace con los cerezos. Which means, I want to do uh, to you what spring does to the cherry trees, wow. to the cherry oh, blossoms. Really and for some reason, I read that poem and I said, you know what? Like, I don't even know what I've been questioning. I knew I was going to go to Chile the whole time. Yeah. And that's a really unique choice because I feel like that's a place people don't normally go. Yeah. It doesn't, for some reason, it's not, well, it's just like cut off from the world. It's so far from the world. Um, and it's not easy to travel to or even travel once you're there, like within the North and South. People don't realize it's actually, so it's really, really thin. I think you can drive from one side to the other with wise in an hour and a half, but It's as long um, from top to bottom as like New York to California. Wow. Wow. Uh, I don't think the map like gives it justice. And in the north, you have the driest desert in the world. And in the south, you have um, like a populated, the the populated city most close to the South Pole. Wow. So it's like they're literally living in glaciers in the south. And in the north, it's like dry desert. And in the middle, you have lakes and every type of geography in the world is like in this long stretch that that is Chile. That would be an interesting trip, just like making your way down yeah, from the desert to the to yeah. the, the Antarctic. Talk, talk to me about like, you know, we'll have some people that might be interested in like how you found this program and like what what it, what it was like to like um, apply and and get there and everything. What was so? That like? I think the program is actually still going. Um, it's called English Opens Doors. And honestly, so I, yeah, like I I searched for volunteer programs. I think there's still one available in Colombia as well found a program it was like funded by the un but pretty much just through the chilean government and they just get volunteers in schools pretty much like english-speaking volunteers and they have you work with an english Mm -hmm. teacher there so it's like the english teacher would teach we would split the class into two halves they normally had hour and a half classes i would get half the class for 45 minutes and then we'd switch i'd get the other half for 45 minutes and the process for you kind of send an application. I think most of them want college graduates, but not all. Mm-hmm. I send an application. You send them probably like a little background check. They do like a Zoom call with you. But honestly, it's very casual. It's not like they're super selective. When I got there, there were like 80 recent yeah. grads who all were wanted to have some fun and travel with their life, you know, as much as like we should have been more serious right. about our volunteer volunteerism. It was more like, Half of us were going there as a to learn the language on our own, not actually to teach it. Yeah. Right. I got lucky. I got placed in a little beach town called La Serena. Um, I was the only one out of like the 80 person program that went to this air that went to this city. It's the second oldest city in Chile after Santiago. And I taught at like a all-girls elementary middle school. Okay. So where the program focused on sending <laughs> people to kind of like at-risk schools. I had, I had friends telling me like, oh, I can't, they're, all my high school students don't listen to me. I walked in the bathroom and they were, they were doing drugs and this and that. Yeah. My experience was a little different where it was like really, really sweet little girls who were just bringing me candy and like writing me notes. <laughs> you and, got lucky. Yeah, I got, I got really lucky in that, in that regard. 
Um, so it does, there is, I had other people who like wanted to go back to the US just because they were having such a hard time with their schooling. And mm-hmm. some people stayed with the host family and some people didn't. You had the option where it was like, if you didn't stay with the host family, you would get an extra 200 Luca, which is like the Chilean, you know, Chilean dollars, which at the time, the conversion was about $20 in Chilean money was $30 USD. Um, so it was okay. relatively similar. Um, me, mm-hmm. I stayed with a host family, so I got less. I got, I think, like $500 um, a month. So I didn't spend any money on food or um, staying, but I was still trying to do a lot of travel. I would go out with my friends and drink a lot. And it was, I wouldn't say it was enough to like get by. I think I was probably spending like $200 of my own money every month. Okay. Um, okay. So it wasn't like, I didn't break even, but I know a lot, a lot of people. I was definitely spending, like doing it a little more luxurious than most of the people in the program. You know, every, uh-huh. everyone I'd meet, I'd be like, oh, do you guys want to go to this, uh, go camping this weekend? They'd be like, oh no, we got to save money. Or if I wanted to go out to eat, they'd be like, no, no, let's go get bread and ham from the store. <laughs> right. so it's very doable within the budget they give you, honestly. Yeah. Um, I just, my only thought process is always like, when am I, when am I going to be here next? Right. Like, let me, let me eat right. Let me do it right. And, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll work harder later. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's always, I'll always push the problems on future. <laughs> I saw that Get you the spent. Can down the road. Right, right. <laughs> um, I saw that you spent some time in the capital of Santiago. What was that like? And is that where you would suggest that people go if they're going to Chile? I mean, I feel like no matter what, you're going to, if you fly there, which is probably the only way to get there, you're going to fly to Santiago. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely recommend spending maybe four or five days there at the minimum. That's the thing with with Chile. It's like Santiago is one destination that's really amazing. It feels like a European city. It's probably the most metropolitan city in uh, South America. You know, I'm not sure if that's changed at all in the last year. They did they did have almost a like a straight year of protests, which I will say 2020 oh, was a wow. sad year in terms of protests not getting results. But Chile is actually rewriting their constitution, so it was one of the wow. one of like the success story, the like populist success stories of the last year because mm-hmm. they still had the same constitution left over from uh, the nineties when they had a dictator, when they had Pinochet as the dictator. So that was for me a really important moment, really happy moment because their, their populist history, I said Pablo Neruda was one of the main reasons, but their populist history um, with Salvador Allende, a lot happened politically with the CIA and the dictatorship that, that always interested me. And that was one yeah. of the, I studied in at Michigan, I studied um, Latin American History was one of my minors. So, and Chile mm-hmm. specifically was something I was really always interested in the, the political upheaval and, you know, the dictatorship. So, to me, it was really, really happy moment for also for my Chilean friends. I like, I felt it through them. I was like living vicariously through them yeah. when, when they decided they were going to change the constitution. The one thing I will say negative about Chile, their food culture is, is lacking. Really? They, I literally introduced so many people to black pepper. Like no spice, no, they they have a food problem. They can't, they have to import all their food and they're very cut off in the world. So food's Mm -hmm. expensive. Mm. That makes sense. But that's really unfortunate. Yeah. That's like really important for us when we travel is like how's the food. Yeah. Like I I remember when, (laughs) no, (laughs) you said a lot of good things about it as well. But like when we were in a small city in Turkey, I would like hunt for like good apples yeah, or sweet potatoes Love like for days um so i think we're ready to move on to spain yeah um if you were to recommend to a first timer that's visiting spain their first time ever what city would you suggest they visit i i believe this is the country where you spend the most spent the most time correct yeah i spent almost two years in spain Wow. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, let's talk about that. Like getting you being in Spain. Like, yeah. Okay. Wait. Let's tell that story. Let's go back to teaching in Chile. What happened next? Okay. So I'll give you a, a little linear timeline. Yeah. I was teaching in Chile. I came back to that old job. They kind of had me back. I was there for two weeks and I just was like, okay, I want this even less now. Now <laughs> I'm like addicted to the travel. I got the travel bug. So I ended up quitting that job and you know, I needed to save a little money. So I went and I think I spent like four or five months bartending. Uh-huh. And I would, I would work six, seven days a week, you know, every night. I barely saw the sun for that four month period, you know? Uh-huh. You know I think I, I might have saw you during this period. 
was it one in Ann Arbor on Main Street? It was. I think that was you saw me after Italy, which I did that a couple times. Oh, okay. So, so I I bartended and then I ended up going to Italy for I I spent three months with my friend. I told you that little story when we started in the south, and then he had to go back to the states, and I figured I wasn't ready to leave, and I just went and found a Airbnb in Bologna. My first like two weeks there, I found like an online bartending gig, but it only they would like call me once every you know three weeks. So mostly in in Bologna, I was just I was just kind of paying for an Airbnb and I took Italian classes. Okay. How was Bologna? I was just there. Oh, I, I, Bologna to me is the most underrated city in Italy. I think it's the most alternative. Really? Where it's like, I love Italians, but like they can be a little culturally conservative for me at points. Which mm-hmm. Bologna, I felt, was the most alternative, open, and also I think it has the best food in Italy. Don't don't tell any of my yeah, like Italian friends I said that. Food. But um, I've, heard, <laughs> I've heard it has pretty good food too. So after I, I came back from Italy, that was I was there for about six months. I did I did the bartending thing again. Um, I think that's when you guys both actually came to visit me one time uh, at Heidelberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So then after that, I did the same thing about four or five months, and at this time I was thinking like I all right I gotta get plan something in my future. My parents were hounding me. So I took the LSAT at that time. I was thinking, okay, maybe I'll do law school. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. I did. I took the LSAT and I had like my applications kind of like docked. I hadn't really applied to any schools yet. I, then I went to, I was actually thinking of going to Brazil or Lebanon. Mm-hmm. I was trying to decide between the two and my mom's friend from, I, I grew up in Orlando and my mom's uh, friend was our next door neighbor, like a wonderful Lebanese woman. Um, she offered to let me have her mm-hmm. vacation home in Lebanon. This place was like an hour north of Beirut uh, in a city, a small little town called Batroun, which mm-hmm. is like five minutes from the water, from the ocean, from the sea, Mediterranean Sea. And then like on the other side, five minutes to the mountains. The way people live in Lebanon, like families, they'll buy these entire compounds where it's like each level is at its own house. And normally like the parents live on the bottom floor. Then the firstborn son will live on the second floor. And then like it goes kind of in order and you'll have a whole big family uh, living in each house. I had this entire five-level compound. It's really awesome, actually. So, But I had this entire five-level compound to myself. I had balconies on every side. I was on the fifth floor and just like in the mountains in Lebanon, you know, all alone. It was really, really awesome time. I remember like uh, J. Cole's KOD album came out at that time. And I had a rental car. I would just drive around this small town blasting it. And people would just look at me like, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, it, also i made friends with like all the young lebanese kids in the area like <laughs> because of that i swear <laughs> and then after that her family ended up coming to lebanon so i was like you know what i'll it's kind of crowded now i don't want to stay here and i had visited uh-huh. athens for just like a weekend and loved it i thought it was the most yeah athens is kind of grungy but like mm-hmm. I kind of love that about it. It has like yeah. this beautiful history, the Parthenon, all that, and then it also has this like it never recovered from the 2008 collapse. It's still right. like right. clawing its way back. Yeah, we saw it firsthand. We, we yeah. when were yeah. we? We were yeah. there in 2016. 20 yeah. 2015, 16. And it still was. Yeah. Grungy. No, you're right. It hasn't. It hasn't come back. I mean, still a lot of half-built structures and stuff. I remember. Yeah. There's some. There's some neighborhoods you walk through. I mean, you'll see needles everywhere. There's a ton of homelessness. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's just something about Athens where it's like cafes stay open till five, six in the morning, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about clubs. I'm talking about like cafes, and the, the, all the tables will be full, and people can just talk all night and the most interesting conversations. Yeah. Like I was like, they really, this really is a country of philosophers. So yeah, let me get back to my timeline. I was in Lebanon three months, then Greece uh-huh. for three months. While I was in Lebanon, I met some people. Um, I would go to Beirut on the weekends just because it was fun. Beirut, if like you haven't heard, has like better party scene than London and like really? Paris. It is unbelievable. You walk around and, I don't know what it is. Lebanon has been through so much turmoil and like just forever that the people have learned to just enjoy life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would walk around and I just like see groups of people. I was like, wow, every single group is just so cool looking. Like I really want to be friends with everyone I walk by. (laughs) And I met these, a handful of Europeans that were, um, I would stay in a hostel on the weekends there. And I, I met these Europeans that worked there. They would work, they worked in refugee camps in Mm -hmm. Lebanon. I told them I felt very strongly about this. 
and whatnot. And they invited me to come do an English class at their uh, refugee camp. Wow. So I would go for the three months I was there, I'd go to their uh, refugee camp once a week and give English lessons. Um, and while I was there, I met this uh, family of fourth generation uh, refugees. Um, I guess this is relevant actually this week with, with everything that's going on with Israel and Palestine because yeah. it was there were Palestinians that had been pushed out, expelled in the original Nakba in 1948. Wow. So they literally arrived to Lebanon in 1948 into this one refugee camp. You know, they stick you in a one bedroom or two bedroom little place. And almost 70 years later, four generations later, they were still in this same little room in the same little camp which wow. I just did not know multi-generational refugees existed. Right. I, I looked at my own story and I was like, wow, both my parents came to the U.S. as teenagers without parents illegally. They, mm-hmm. they caught on the plane, came to visit a family member and never left. And when I was born, you know, they had citizenship. I had citizenship. They had a house. They had a business. Like, I, I never imagined that my life could have been so different. You know, when my story was exactly the same as these people yeah. I was meeting in the refugee camp. It's humbling. And it really it's affected humbling me. humbling, for sure. Yeah, it really affected me. And that, that was actually what drove me to, like, decide I wanted to go to law school. Because I felt like as a volunteer at these refugee mm-hmm. camps, there's only so much you can do. But as a lawyer, uh, as an immigration lawyer, I'd be able to yeah. really help individuals. Before you keep going, I just yeah. want to say that super noble and, like, um, it makes me just even proud to talk to you. Just just going to that the refugee camp and, and you know and volunteering like that. Yeah, talk it, about an immersive it, experience. It's um, yeah, I feel I feel humbled to to you know to be talking to you. So I just want to say you know that's that's really big and it's really it's really amazing. I think another point is we we talk about how travel inspires you. Mm. Like this is the status quo of that. Like yeah. this is the definition of being inspired by what you experience and what you see and what you witness and yeah go on with your story so no yeah i ended up like most law schools you have to apply from like january to may you know this was it was already june at this time or july at this time i ended up sending in my application to my law school like july 31st the very last day you could and within two months i was starting school wow i was starting school that september you know, so it was like a very sudden, it was like, I had this experience. I was so kind of shocked by it. I had already taken my LSAT so I could apply. And I was like, you know what? I'm doing mm-hmm. it. Uh, I didn't really have any plans after Greece. I said, this will be my plan. You know, my main like big fear was law school's three years. I had gotten like a full scholarship to Wayne State in Detroit. And it's like my brain rationality told me to do that. But I just like wasn't ready to go live back home where I was from for three mm-hmm. years. So one of the only schools I applied to was Brooklyn Law School. And I did that knowing that they had a dual degree program, which allows you to do your second year abroad. And there were a bunch of options for where you could do your second mm-hmm. year. So I applied to Brooklyn. They found out I got in. And I went. I, I literally went from Greece, came home to Michigan for two weeks to see my family, and then uh, moved to New York. And your dog. And my dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's still kicking. He's, he's 17 and like still looks like a puppy. When I he's walk him, so like, people cute. think he's a puppy. Yeah, when you guys, if you guys check out his Instagram, you'll see the cute little pup on there. <laughs> <laughs> Love a good dog shout out. Um, so, so, t- so you went straight to Brooklyn then after two weeks at home. Yep. So I was in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's yeah, awesome. I was gonna add you know, I'm not the biggest Manhattan fan, but Brooklyn's awesome. I loved, I loved my year living there. But still, even though I Brooklyn sounded cool to me, it was a new place to me. Three years was a lot, you know. So in that. In that first year, I applied for their study abroad program, the dual degree program, which is actually a cool program. It, it's still only three years for your JD, but they allow you to do your second year elsewhere and get a master's in that second year, but they still count it as your second year in, in New York. Wow. wow. So the I'm options they like, had I'm, were like- I'm laughing at the fact that you're like, three years is a long time to be somewhere. And people like make these much longer commitments to these places in life. And it just kind of shows like the pace of the life you've been living. It's right. Like, and But for a nomad, three yeah. years, that is a long time. Right. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. Especially I'd gone, I'd gone from like six months here, six months right. here, six months here. So it was three months, three years sounded like such a big yeah. commitment to me. Mm-hmm. So in my, in my mind, I broke it up. I was like one year in New York, one year um, abroad, one more year in New York, mm-hmm. which it sounded much more manageable and, and like cool to me. Yeah. Exciting. So luckily, I got accepted to the to the program. Um, honestly, I was surprised that 
there was like, oh, only we can only send two people to lo- each location. So there's Amsterdam, France, Germany, Spain. Um, I was like, oh, it's going to be super competitive. Am I going to get it? Nobody, like barely anybody applied. Wow. Like I guess that everyone in New York or at Brooklyn Law School wants to do corporate law. Okay. And the corporate, the corporate um, uh, law firms will be like, but why'd you go abroad if you want to work in New York? Like they'd actually use it against you. Right. Supposedly. Okay. I don't know. To me, it was crazy that they had this amazing program get a master's out of it and i actually saved on tuition because it's so much cheaper in spain yeah. um, i saved a lot on tuition that year wow i'm gonna i need this program i'm gonna yeah. retire yeah I'm gonna do that. you find all the good stuff the good teaching program the good law school program <laughs> the good flights you're on top of it <laughs> i try i try <laughs> so you did your second year in spain exactly cool and there was it was a pretty easy nobody competed for that for that spot <laughs> Nobody. I had one other friend who who I convinced to do uh, an Amst- the Amsterdam program. We visited each other a couple times. Yeah, it was like, selfishly. Yeah, you should go to Amsterdam. Yeah, right? honestly, it was like <laughs> now I got a place to stay in Amsterdam. <laughs> he has a place to stay in Spain. <laughs> I love that. So where were you in Spain? I was in Madrid. Ooh, nice. Tell us, talk, oh, yeah. talk. Tell no, us about it. I have been dying to go to Spain, and Jordan's been multiple times. How many times? Uh, at least like six, right? Seven. Maybe. I've n- he's never taken me. I'm I've still waiting, for a game. <laughs> and I just want to know, like, if I'm going to Spain, what is the city that I need to be at? So I don't know why I find America and Americans when they think of Spain, they're mm-hmm. very obsessed with Barcelona. Yeah, right. Barcelona is amazing. You have a really like culturally vibrant city mm-hmm. right on the water, so it's like you have. The sea, you have the, the the ocean and the um, city mixed together. You have mountains not so far, yeah. but the monastery away. Yeah. But to me, Barcelona does not compare to Madrid. Wow. Mm. And when I say Madrid, I like people visit Madrid, and it's like, where should I go see? What should I go see? And there isn't a single monument I can think of. Oh wow! You know, they have two of the most amazing museums. Beside, but besides that, it's like two of the most amazing museums and a park that's like similar to Central Park. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an amazing park in the middle of the city, but it's like. It isn't, there isn't a monument. There isn't like a special place you have to go visit. Right. It's like, you just have to go and enjoy the cafe culture yeah. and go walk around, go to plazas and go from bar to bar drinking. Yeah. And people are just so inviting and nice and it's super international. Yeah. And the nightlife is like, I, maybe the top nightlife for me, like that I've experienced in the world. Wow. More that, than, better yeah. than Beirut? Maybe better than Beirut. Wow. Better than Beirut, probably just because I I was better at the language right. too, mm-hmm. so I could have a little more fun that yeah, way. Yeah. That reminds me of um, Istanbul. Like Istanbul is awesome. It's too. like um, when you say like there's no like monuments. I mean, like of course Istanbul has the Blue Mosque and like the Hagia Sophia, but like it's not like a big monument city either, in my opinion. It's just like a cultural. It's a culture city. Like you just, yeah. it's about the life. It's not so much about like all these different monuments, and mm-hmm. uh, that's. That's how I feel when I think about Istanbul. I lo- we love Istanbul. Love it. Love going there. I've been five times. Just, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, just love, just love going there. It's just great, you know, Turkish tea and Turkish breakfast and just, you know, taking in the culture. But, like, as far as monuments go, it's just, like, it's not really that kind of city. Yeah. And I've been meaning to ask you, do you think that, like, when you were in Spain, was it necessary to speak Spanish? And when you were in Chile same thing was that necessary or do you think you could have gotten by on english just for our travelers out there that are like oh man do i need to start practicing so before chile i i had taken spanish in high school and like one year in college but like i didn't i couldn't hold a conversation even um Mm -hmm. i spent three months like right before i left doing like almost an hour a day like it was it's probably the most I've ever like kept up with something like 90 days. I had like a 90 yeah, day wow. uh, streak on like Duolingo or something, you know, my greatest accomplishment uh-huh. in life. <laughs> and I was like decent. I got kind of conversational in Santiago. You didn't need it. You would be fine getting by with English. When I went to the small town, it was, it would have been hard had I not had a little bit. And I think I, I learned really fast. Like my host family didn't really mm-hmm. speak English. So I actually, it's not true. It was an older woman and her daughter. The daughter was an English teacher, so she spoke perfect English. But the mom was probably the okay. hardest person in the entire country that I met, like, to understand. <laughs> she would talk super fast, just go on for hours. And literally, the reason she was like, <laughs> took part in the program 
was because she just wanted someone to talk to. She got, she was like bored at home. So she would have volunteers come stay with her. And she literally like coordinated with my school to say like, oh, you have to give him this time from this time for lunch off so he can walk home and have lunch with me and then go back. You know, most teachers had lunch That's together in the sweet. school. And I would, I would literally walk home, go eat with her every day and, you know, go back to school. That's adorable. To teach. It was really nice. That's adorable. She was, a, she was a really goofy lady. Like, my first day there, she one of the first conversations she had with me is like, oh, yeah, 9-11 was a hoax. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> like, this is an interesting start to our relationship. That's how we're going to kick it off, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, literally. But that was just emblematic of her. She was, like, kind of out there, but, like, very, very fun and supportive. Um, she had a bunch of camping gear. She's like, my kids haven't gone in 20 years. Please take it. Go camping. You know? Wow. I had a friend come visit me who was, like, in the program. And I guess they had, she had like been placed with a bit of like a helicopter family. They didn't like her taking taxis by herself. They didn't, and she was 27 years old at the time, 27 years old, lived in New York alone. So for that, for her, that was a really hard, um, having these like host family be super protective. Well, my, she came over one time and was telling me and my host mom about it. And she was like, she left. She's like, ah, he has a key. If he doesn't come home in a few days, I'll, I'll call the police. <laughs> <laughs> she was probably like, wait, what? I got the short end of the stick here. Right. Yeah, she was jealous for sure. So law school in Spain, what, what was that like? How does that just like, um, I mean, you mentioned it was part of your program. So it, it was just like, it just fit right in. There's no issues as far as like you getting your degree, passing the bar, like you're official. And where did you take the bar, if you don't mind me asking? I'm, I'm actually studying for it now. You guys, I was I was studying uh, before. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, here, it's almost 1130. Let, yeah. me, okay. uh, let me get to this. Okay. Um, I'm taking it in the New York bar. The New York bar. Uh, okay. Yeah, in July. Well, good luck with that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. So you plan to, as you mentioned, practice immigration law? Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm still on the fence like that when i when i the the masters i got in europe is a master's in international european business law Mm. the internships i've done have been immigration law uh i definitely feel most strongly and most like excited to go to work when i'm working on immigration law Mm -hmm. i do i mean like i said before i was i was born into a nice situation and i'd like to be like an advocate for people who are like a little worse off in the world yeah Mm -hmm. pay it forward Exactly. Exactly. I mean, as sometimes I, I, I honestly just feel guilt for where I'm at, which I know I shouldn't, but I, I, I want to like change that into, I don't know what the term is. It's like the happiness you get from helping someone, you know, even, even from a selfish yeah. perspective, yeah. I know it makes me feel better, but like, yeah. you know, you kill two birds with one stone, you help someone and you help yourself. Fulfillment. Where I got really lucky though, or not lucky. I don't know. I feel bad. Like saying that anything good came out of the pandemic. Right. But when the pandemic happened, I was still in Spain. Um, yes. I had about like two months left to the to my semester. I was writing my thesis. Everyone in my program took off. Like our schools all contacted us saying, you guys need to come home. Everyone's parents was like, oh, it's going to get to Spain way before U.S. It was already reaching Spain. And they were like, you, you all need to come home. My program had 22 Americans, 21 of them within a week left. Wow. I was like, in my mind, I just imagined, I was like, this is it's going to come to the U.S. no matter what. Right. It'll probably get just as bad there. <laughs> I told my mom, I was like, mom, I'll be safe, you know? Yeah. And I stayed. My school, I told my school, like, you know, I I made up like, oh, I feel more unsafe traveling. I'm just going to stay put, you know? Right. like. And they got like, they all got over and best decision I could have made. All my friends that left told me they regretted it because they just came and went locked down in their family home their parents home most of them because they didn't have places to live in the u.s at the time yeah yeah for me it ended up being two years in spain instead of three because my third year of law school was remote right it kind of was hard with some classes like i I had a 4 p.m class that it started at 10 p.m but Mm -hmm. it was all doable it was like once a week so there's nothing that wasn't like absurd actually i kind of liked being able to wake up you know i would wake up at 9 a.m and i'd have until 3 p.m. before my 9 a.m. Start class started, you know, so I would I would leave all my work right. till the morning, have a nice like morning work session and then like attend my classes, which was really nice for me. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in the show that you had a book that inspired you to decide on Chile or it was a poem. Excuse me. It was a poem. A poem and, and a, book. a book. And a book. Yes. Yeah, it was a poem and a book. Mm-hmm. Have you read any books lately that have got given you an itch to go somewhere? 
Honestly, I'm have to go back like over a yeah. year just because I've been so busy in the bar study and it just kills your desire. I was I was telling uh, a friend this yesterday, like uh, he was telling me an idea for he has that he's he's trying to write a book, and I was telling him like how sad it, it, it's making me hear him say this because I used to write and yeah. read so much, and just now with like bar prepping, it's like I haven't even thought about reading. Yeah, anything. like your brain's so fried. You're like I can't read one more. Yeah, one more thing. But I will say one thing. Um, one book that really inspired me to go to uh, Mexico City was Octo- Octavio Paz's uh, Labyrinth of Solitude. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a intense, it's like a, a mix between politics, philosophy, and poetry. He really mm-hmm. writes very beautifully, even though it's like political philosophy, it's written like prose. Right. He just creates the this idea of Mexican identity, which... To me, I mean, this is this might be uh, questionable in terms of like the the modern discourse on cultural appropriation and all that. Yeah. I I think all identity is made up, and it's all I believe in freedom of movement as a human right. Like mm-hmm. to me, yeah. uh, like Katie, you're 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 Italian, for example. I to me, it's it's absurd right. to say that she has more right to the language or the food or even the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there might be like actual laws in place and visas needed and all that, you know, but like ignore the laws. I'm I'm just everything every idea I meet and see is just as much mine you know mm-hmm. yeah so when I read this I felt very connected to this identity that he was creating yeah. yeah I also I grew up in Arizona and Florida so maybe I I all my friends you know my my ethnic group is Middle Eastern but we're Catholic yeah so it was like the Mexicans that seemed most similar to me and maybe I maybe I connected to that as a kid maybe that's the reason I wanted to learn Spanish like I learned Spanish before I learned Arabic or Aramaic like my my family's two languages mm-hmm so maybe that was a part of it, but like I just felt so described by that book, and it was almost like a little like sad and dark. It was like there's a slight little bit of nihilism in that book, but it's just like strength as well and perseverance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, it reminded me of uh, the artist Frida Kahlo, how she all her all her life was just like pain and suffering, and every time something hit her, she turned around and turned it into art and turned it into like genius art. Yeah. And so I had this like idea of like the human condition and perseverance that that made me want to go to Mexico City. And I'll tell you, Mexico City is one of the most like interesting places I've ever been. Food is some of the best you'll ever find. It's chaotic. It's one of the most densely populated cities. The roads are crazy. The I was only there for a week and it's like I went to a luchador match. I went to this uh, cenote, which is like these underwater caves. I went to... The Anthropological Museum, I think, is the best museum, maybe, I don't know, in the world. It's like, it's one of the top museums ever. You need 10 days for it, wow. you know? Like, there's not enough time for that museum. Interesting. So, yeah, in terms, of, in terms of book, that's one that stands out to me that, like, made me go somewhere, is uh, The Labyrinth of Solitude by Octavio Paz. For some reason, I'm the opposite of most people, where most people learn to read and write languages, like, better first, and then speaking comes later. Me. Uh, I learned early on that like the biggest uh, impediment to learning languages is like fear and like embarrassment. Yeah. People are so scared to sound silly where it's like, no, just talk, 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 yeah. make mistakes, talk all in the present tense. Even if you're talking about yesterday, talk in the present tense and have someone correct you or like just they'll understand yeah. what you mean. So the mm-hmm. more and more you talk, and I, and I just like to talk in general too. Um, <laughs> the more and more you talk, the faster you're going to learn. So I would get yeah. good, at, like in Italian, I, I got really good at co- conversing. Because like I said, I was in the South with my friend's family. Not a soul spoke English in Puglia. Not a soul. Mm-hmm. So it was like I had to convert my Spanish into Italian within like a two-month period. And I mean, I, I would study on my phone and whatnot. But like I got good quickly because I out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I had a similar experience in like my Russian friends. They didn't speak English very well and they would use the wrong tense all the time but and then they'd be like hold on let me translate let me translate and I'm like no 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 like just say it like I'm gonna understand what you're saying just try yeah I definitely can relate when I was in France you know that's how I got basically fluent I you know with my French teammates I would just I studied French in high school so yeah I would so just, it was there you had the base back there I would just try it you know I would just I would if I could I would try to speak French mm-hmm. and like you said you they would correct you 
and you learn that way though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there you also find that they they appreciate it. People appreciate it when you're when you they try. They love it. They're so mm-hmm. they see that you're it's like an you're making an effort to connect with them, you know? Yes. There's a Mandela quote, um I'm going to butcher it, but it's mm-hmm. like you speak to his brain if it's a, a language he understands. Speak to a man in his native tongue and you speak to his heart. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I always love that quote. Wow. Yeah. So I think our interview is coming to a close. Um, you're like one of the most interesting people I've ever been friends with. I just have to put that out there. And <laughs> I think a lot of our audience will agree. Where can they find you if they want to follow along on your next uh, travel journey? Honestly, I mean, I'm not that uh, active on any like social media. I'll, I'll post like a couple Instagram yeah. posts a year. Hey, you have some good ones on there. Though. I post, honestly, I, I post mostly on my stories. You know, to me, uh-huh. it's like I like the idea that it's only there for a day. It's not. I'm not like bragging too much or like yeah. showing off too much. You know, I'm 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 trying to let people live a little vicariously through me or with right. me yeah. without you know without making it my identity. Right. You know. So if they if they want to follow me on Instagram, it's uh, J Cozy Coz. Okay, we'll put it in the in the show notes. Show notes mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and maybe another opportunity to to make some random friends on and take a new trip somewhere. Oh so. yeah, I, yeah. That is one thing. Even though I don't have like a huge Instagram following, if you follow me, you know I will follow you back, and I'm gonna interact with your post if you do something. Even if I don't know you, I'm gonna uh-huh. message you like we're friends. You know that's that's right. why I go to everyone. I I assume. Even like when I'm traveling and I approach someone, I assume we're already friends and I and I talk to you and treat you like that. And sometimes it's abrasive and it scares people away, but like most of the time, people like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. People are waiting for someone to take like the first move. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, well, I think we forget like the whole purpose of social media, you know? It's like it's not about just posting and showing off, it's about connection. And so I think it's it's uh pretty brave that you do that and it and it speaks to what it's meant for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, last New Year's I met someone I met, a Saudi Arabian girl. Some I don't know what we were commenting on each other's posts on literature and whatnot. We ended up sending each other books for like a three year period. We were sending each other letters and books, and we finally met twenty twenty uh, New Year's in Istanbul. Um, and that's just like wow. yeah, it was like such a fun, cool encounter, and it really felt like we had been friends, you know, our entire lives. It was like. It wasn't like, oh, we're meeting for the first time. I was like, oh, wait, I really, we really are friends. Even though we've interacted only through the internet, like, I consider her a close friend now. Thanks for listening to another episode of On Arrival. We've had so much fun recording these episodes and sharing them with you every week. If you like this episode, share it with somebody. And don't forget to subscribe to our show, On Arrival Podcast, on all podcast platforms. We would really appreciate it if you would write us a positive review wherever you choose to listen. And look for us on social media at On Arrival Travel on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're looking for more episodes, you can always head over to onarrival.com.